Hello and welcome to Move Conversations. This is your host Venkat. In this episode, we talk to Mr. Manish Davan. My co-producer Mrigank and I know Manish for many years now. He's a fellow IFTN and a veteran coffee trader and currently the senior vice president of coffee division in Olam International. We are happy to announce that uh, we have recently started Move Conversations uh, and uh, Trade Stuff as a new series. In this new channel, within the Move Conversations, we talk to international traders as well as people from other professions uh, who enable international trade in various ways. This will include IFT alumni as well as others. Manish, uh, welcome to the show. Hi, Venkat. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, you know, uh, Mrigank and I know, have known you in Singapore for uh, quite a few years uh, from your early days as a um, coffee trader. Uh, maybe not. Uh, so, in fact, we need to figure out like from how early was that in, in your coffee journey. But if, from a Singapore context, we knew you like, you know, you were there for quite some time and we have seen you happily you know, grow in this uh, senior position in global coffee trade. So let's begin with the you know, start of your career journey in, in coffee. How did you get started in coffee business at all? So coffee for me, uh, Venkat, was not, I mean, it was not a, uh, a movement that was planned. I think uh, I had joined uh, Olam uh, in 1998. And okay. when I joined them, it was my first assignment was in cotton. So actually I was, you know, into cotton and ginning for just under a year. Okay. And then there was this opportunity uh, that came up in coffee. Um, and this all this was happening. I joined uh, joined them in East Africa in Tanzania. Right. And um, that's when I moved in uh, 1999 to mm -hmm. coffee in the southern part of Tanzania in a place called Bea, very picturesque, which is the southern Tanzanian Arabica coffees. And that's how I started. And ever since I've been in coffee. So what have been the different roles in, uh, you know, coffee trade that you've taken up over the years? So I think I have been uh, very lucky in that regard because, you know, uh, one, of course, the length of time that I've spent in coffee and given the, the kind of uh, opportunity that I've got within uh, Olam. So yeah. I've played a, a whole host of roles. So I, uh, I started out, of course, being a supply chain manager, handling the origination and procurement of, of coffee and, and, and other commodities initially. Mm -hmm. uh, then looked at, you know, uh, uh, origin profit center head for coffee, uh, which mm -hmm. is managing the book and, you know, the, the trading for, mm -hmm. from a particular country. Mm -hmm. um, I've been a um, country manager for the Vietnam business uh, for a while. Um, handled of obviously when I moved to Singapore, that's when I moved to Singapore uh, after we, my stint in Vietnam. That was mm -hmm. in 2006. Okay. And um, that's when I started handling more the sales and marketing for the Asia, Middle East, and Southern Europe based out of Singapore. Right. And then I've, I've looked at now for the last 10 odd years more regional oversight roles for Asia and the Africa PLs, the oversight of the specialty coffee business for a, for a while. Uh, obviously leading the we have a small um, uh, within the coffee business uh, own coffee estate plantations uh, business so I was I'm still heading that business so so yeah quite wonderful. a lot of roles quite a lot of roles so wonderful so so, so you know you're the right guy for our uh, audience to understand you know what goes on in in you know for in the in the cup that they drink you know uh, in the context of Tanzania 
you know, I heard you mention Arabica. Mm. So what are the major types of coffee that are traded? We often hear about Arabica and Robusta, something else. And yeah, so, so basically, you know, coffee uh, among the major ones that are commercially traded and consumed, I think there are perhaps uh, four, two that are more well known, which is Arabica and Robusta, which is predominantly 99%, maybe slightly more than that of the overall coffee that we consume. Mm-hmm. But there are maybe a couple of others like uh, Liberica and Excelsa that are also still uh, tra- traded or grown in some countries. But, but apart yeah. from that, there are maybe tens, if not hundreds of other species of coffee, but those are not of commercial interest or have not been so far. So what's the difference between Arabica and Robusta? So basically, they are two different uh, uh, species, if you want to call it, within the coffee uh, uh, space. And Arabica is the one that uh, typically uh, grows in higher elevations uh, and provides more the flavor and the aroma and the acidity in our cup of coffee. Whereas okay. And it has slightly lower caffeine levels than the other variety, which is Robusta, which is normally... Uh, robust as the name suggests it's easier to grow um, relative to arabica less pressed in disease pressure it grows at lower elevations um, and also it is more stronger in the sense that it provides more the body body and the you know the bitterness what we call to our cup of coffee and has a higher caffeine kick so uh, so most of the coffee that we drink really are blends apart from you know certain markets or certain skus most coffees that we drink would be in a blend of Arabica and Robusta to get the right balance out. Right. So, so when we talk about Robusta, what we can kind of remember is that it has got higher caffeine content. It gives body, um, and it is robust as a plant itself. It's it's more bitter, right? So th- those yeah. are the essential things. So literally, like like this is the robust coffee, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. Uh, you know, talking about the coffee crop uh, and and the growing and since since uh, if you would allow me to say that you know you, you started your career probably in the bushes, uh, if it's if if it's an acceptable uh, uh, way of describing the start of your career, you know I read that uh, that last year uh, was an so quote unquote on year of the biennial production cycle. So can you explain to us? What is this cycle? What is an on-year? What is an off-year for coffee business? See, basically, uh, you know, coffee as a as a plant mm-hmm. is uh, has this cyclicality that it follows every good crop with a slightly poorer crop, and okay. vice versa. And mm-hmm. the reason for that is because you know the coffee plant is uh, uh, it, you know it's it's perennial and uh, it always uh, carries or works on two crops at a time. So what I mean is that, you know, you have the the stem and you have branches, right? Mm-hmm. And branches are where you will have leaves, which will eventually, there will be buds and, you know, flower formation and fruit development. Mm-hmm. So the tree in mm-hmm. coffee always works on the branch with the idea of two crops in mind. One crop, which is where the fruiting is happening. Mm-hmm. And the other part, which is the branch extension beyond that, which will be your potential for the next crop. Oh, okay. Right. And, and and one trivia, very interesting for non-coffee guys, is that the coffee tree on any branch or any, uh, you know, whether it's a primary branch or a secondary or a tertiary, in any part of that branch, once you have fruited once, 
it never fruits again at the same place in the life of the tree. Oh, okay. So, as you kind of keep the tree becoming older, it's only the new branch growth extension that are the source of new crop. The the area where you have had crop earlier can only have leaves. It will no, no never have fruits anymore. So, oh, so yeah. So that's yeah. one part. So what happens is that, given this working on two crop cycle, it is auto. It is natural that you know. Let's say this year we've had a lot of good flowering and good fruit potential in the mm. area that is for this year. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So the plant automatically realizes that there is a need to channel more of nutritional requirements into this part of the crop to protect the progeny and the fruit. Oh, okay. So therefore, there is less energy diverted towards the extension of the branch for next crop. So therefore, the area or the potential for next crop is smaller. So after this good crop, you will have a smaller crop. And what happens the next year is the opposite, where it will say that lesser energy is required to protect the fruits of the this crop, and therefore you will put more energy towards branch extension for the next crop. So it kind of works in that. And I think this is uh, more exaggerated in uh, very intensively managed conditions. Okay. And given that Brazil is the largest producer by far, mm. and this biannuality is extremely exaggerated in Brazil. Oh. It is essentially the Brazil on year and off year that determines coffee on year on and year off year. year. Oh, okay, so yeah, I think uh, uh, since you just brought up uh, Brazil, maybe it's a it's a right place for me to ask this. You know, give us an overview of what are the major nations you know where coffee is grown, who are the major exporters, who are the major importers, as you know, countries. In terms of coffee producing countries, I think it's a. Uh, it's a situation that has got extremely um, polarized over the last 20, 30 years. Obviously, you know, it's always been dominated by a few countries. But today, I think the largest producer by far is Brazil, mm -hmm. which accounts for somewhere between 30 and 35% of global production. Okay. And followed by uh, Vietnam, which is, you know, whenever I talk to somebody who's, you know, not from the coffee trade, this one comes as a big surprise because when you say, you know, which who's the which are the largest producing countries, and you say the second largest producer globally and the first in robusta is Vietnam, and a lot of people say, oh wow, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, yeah. So, so Vietnam is the second, and then you have the I would say the next five, which is uh, Colombia, uh, which is at number three, and then you have uh, Indonesia, which is at number four, okay. and then you have let's say Ethiopia, Honduras, and India. Mm. at the next two three so these are the top five six countries uh mm. in, on the production side okay. of course they are all different because uh brazil in this list that i gave you brazil is probably the one that has a very good mix between arabica and robusta uh vietnam is almost entirely I mean, let's say 90 percent uh slightly more than that of robusta uh, so right. it is the biggest robusta producer Indonesia is also largely robusta, a bit of Arabica, which is more the high quality speciality stuff. And um, and the others are primarily single countries. So Ethiopia is only Arabica, Honduras is only Arabica. So yeah, right. Colombia, Colombia only Arabica. Only, only Arabica. Arabica, yeah, all high, high end ones. So um, does the uh, you know list of exporter nation also follows uh, the similar list that you mentioned, right? It's, it's, um... it, it does, uh, because, you know, the the size of the Brazil uh, crop is just so much that uh, even though Brazil as a country consumes, yeah. so Brazil actually is also a top five individual country as a consumer of coffee. Right. But even despite that, I think they have enough to, to export. So they are 
the largest shipper globally and you know so it follows that same list so uh, it would be brazil vietnam colombia indonesia uh, ethiopia in that or maybe ethiopia would be a little lower on the exporting list because they also consume more so maybe honduras uh, will be a larger exporter than ethiopia because they don't have local consumption but right. that would be the list right in terms of uh, consumers you say number 1 what is it so is that correct <clears throat> is my guess right uh yeah so i think uh, in terms of consuming countries uh, as a single country or a, you know as a block of course europe is uh, the largest yeah. they would account for let's sure. say 30% of overall consumption uh, but in terms of single countries the us is the largest uh, and then you would be you know followed by uh, if we include local consumption then producing country then brazil would be uh, quite large and then you'll have germany um, italy japan uh, would be large large consumers of uh, coffee yeah but as a block i think the uh, europe would be uh, one large large cluster and then north america so us canada would be another large cluster and then you know you would drop uh, followed by uh, in asia japan is a large consumer italy is 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 large uh, within the eu uh, so these are some of the large countries right and the eu would be uh, importers too right primary they yes. would be the biggest importers um so from farm to cup what are the major steps in the coffee business so i think in <clears throat> in terms of farm to cup uh, the way it works is that you know coffee is uh, is harvested in the in the by the producer and then depending on um, how the after harvest post harvest processing takes place so there are typically you know when we look at coffee one way to separate it is is the uh, robusta and arabica which is what you mentioned earlier the other way to uh, or what trade does is basically that it uh, uh, splits up the arabicas into naturals and washed okay and so therefore there are three categories so there is arabica naturals there is arabica washed and there is uh, robusta so mm-hmm. that's how you know trade look at it and um, and also roasters when they look at blend preparations and blend mixes that's how they look at it so what's the difference between the washed and the natural is that uh, when the coffee fruit is harvested from the tree uh, you can either go in for drying that fruit on a patio and mm-hmm. you know or a drying bed or something and then it becomes dried and then you hull off or remove the the dried skin mm-hmm. and get the seed which is what we are interested in, right the other way is that when the fruit is fresh as a fresh so it looks you know coffee fruit looks like a ripe cherry uh, that's right, why it's, right, right. it's called a coffee cherry right and right. Uh, so the coffee cherry is is taken and in the fresh uh, the flesh the fruit part is removed while it is fresh right and that needs water to remove and it then gives you in the seed but like you know if you've had a um, you know what 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 should i say if you have a if you have a cherry or mm. if you've tried a plum when you eat the fresh fruit the seed is not clean yeah. it has yeah. quite a lot of sugar and Correct. some fleshy parts stuck on to that fiber to yeah. yeah fiber so so then then you know you either use some kind of a mechanical abrasion machine to clean that off or traditionally it is uh, submerged or put under uh, fermentation in tanks to loosen that skin layer so next day morning or whatever after 12 to 18 hours you would those sugars would have got degraded by the bacteria and therefore uh, uh, you can then have a clean 
uh, bean and you dry it and you get the seed. So the first one is pure, take the fruit, dry it, hull it or remove the, the skin and you get beans and then which is ready for uh, dry processing. And the second one is washing. So uh, there are two different methods. Obviously there are pros and cons, but the wash method gives you a more cleaner cup profile because you don't have any of the earthy flavors associated with drying directly as a fruit but and more acidity but the, the other one has more fruit and more earth and more complex flavors as well so so these are three categories once the the coffee is processed it is then obviously it moves through the supply chain so it goes in through various intermediaries depending on the supply chain infrastructure of various origins and then reaches the the the, the warehouse or the dry milling um, station mm -hmm. of exporters mm -hmm. where it is it is cleaned, uh, sorted, uh, size graded, uh, you know, color sorted. So all of that, just to make sure that that raw material that you get is sized into different screens with different defect percentages as per tolerances, and then it is exported. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it is used by roasters to to roast mm -hmm. and uh, and then you know use that roasted bean to blend it. With mm -hmm. different combinations because you know a roaster is uh, is like a, like a master chef so yeah. for for all their different variants of coffee uh, SKUs that they carry and for different markets they cater to they will have different uh, blends and they decide that blend and that's proprietary so they buy from the trade or from origin exporters only single origin straight coffee grades. And then at their end, they decide what to blend and how much to blend, and then they roast it. And of course, the the, the consumption uh, of that coffee eventually depends on the format. So if it is a straight roasting ground or drip or a, you know powder that we buy, then that's that. If it is to be into a single use format like a capsule or a pod or something, then it gets used up as a roasting ground powder into that capsule. Mm. If it is for the instant coffee soluble industry then it goes to another step where from the roasted roasted powder it gets into an extraction in an, an a, uh, evaporation or a drying mode to right. get get you the 100% or 99.99% soluble coffee powder which is what we all love uh, in various formats so yeah so that's how broadly it moves right